Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to Grow Bud Yourself, episode number eight. We have an amazing show for you guys today. Uh, we've got Dr. Mitch Earlywine uh, back on the show. Uh, we've got the interview with Adam Dunn from TH Seeds, uh, amazing breeder and uh, cannabis historian and hemp uh, farmer as well. We've got uh, me talking about uh, photosynthesis and the cannabis life cycle and much, much more. So stick around for Grow Bud Yourself. Hey, all right. It is episode number eight. Uh, thank you, as always, to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the song. And uh, here we are, Mike, episode eight. Yeah, man. Eight is enough. We should just stop <laughs> after this one. No, we're going to keep no, going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. <laughs> I was kidding. Uh, yeah. So we've got a great show. As mentioned, uh, Dr. Mitch is back uh, and an interview with Adam Dunn. I do want to mention. Uh, you know, a friend going through some rough times, uh, the original Outcast and Excelsior Extracts. Uh, my friend Outcast, Elaine, uh, uh, was diagnosed with uh, uh, stage four cancer. And uh, there's a GoFundMe on my Instagram page uh, that you can join up and uh, help, her, help her out. Uh, she's helped so many people in the community. So I wanted to shout her out and uh, send love uh, to her and, uh, Tommy and Excelsior Extracts and Original Outcast. Um, yeah, so, you know, here we are. Mike, what, do you, what are your thoughts on episode eight and, uh, and how, how we're getting That's along? A transition. Um, well, yeah, really, really <laughs> sad news. Sorry to, sorry yeah. to hear that, of course. And you're, mm-hmm. you're going uh, to visit, uh, I believe, tomorrow. So please do give our right. best and everything. Yes, um, for sure. For sure. She's, she's a fighter. She's going to keep fighting. So... Uh, you know, that's where that's at. Uh, everybody's going through rough times right now, but, uh, that's especially rough, uh, for someone who's been through a lot. So, um, if you, if you have it in you to help out, uh, you know, uh, check out the GoFundMe page, um, share it. If you can't, you know, any, any amount is, is enough, anything you can donate. So, uh, that's, that's that, um, but we yeah, have as a you good show, you know, good show, very exciting stuff. Um, you know, I just have to say, left the city for the first time in like four months since the whole lockdown thing began. You know, went uh, we're, we're we're doing a little family visit, so I'm in my my parents' house down in the basement recording. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on upstairs. There's dogs. There's commotion, and this is the quietest place to record. But it got me thinking. You know, back when all those people told me that if, if I, I smoked weed, I would just end up in my parents' basement, they were right. <laughs> Wow. Right, man. I need to talk to a psychologist, I think. (laughs) Well, funny I should mention that because we have the uh, the one and only Dr. Mitch, and he's going to answer some questions about the science of cannabis. And he, of course, is a professor of psychology. So so what do you say we bring him on now? Sounds great. All right, and uh, we are here 
with a professor of psychology at SUNY Albany and the author of Understanding Marijuana and the Parent's Guide to Marijuana. Our friend, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, is joining us once again. Thank you, Dr. Mitch. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's great for you to be here. We know um, our listeners always have questions about uh, the science of cannabis, and you're the guy to go to for those. And um, and you actually are part of a number of studies that are that are very interesting and that um, we'd love to, to talk to you a little bit about, uh, starting with uh, something about cannabis as it relates to eating disorders. As you can imagine, this was a controversial approach to gathering some data, but uh, one of my colleagues in the psych department is a nationally recognized expert on eating disorders, and one of his grad students and a crew of mine as well went out and tried to gather what we could about expectations about cannabis's impact on actual eating disorders. I mean, we've got uh, arguably the plant that's uh, most likely to generate some kind of appetite in almost anyone, but you can see how folks might be conflicted about it if they were anorexic or binge eaters or things like that. All in all, at least an important subset of them said they really do think cannabis can be helpful, depending in a sense on which symptoms you have and how you anticipate cannabis is going to affect you. Now, how, how exactly uh, does that work? It, it, it stimulates an appetite, I would imagine, right? Um, and that, of course, helps with people who are anorexic. But as you mentioned for binge eating, what, what's the deal there? The irony, and I was super skeptical about this, but there seems to be a subset of binge eaters who claim that cannabis can actually help them savor their food, really pay attention to it get them to sort of draw all the enjoyment they can so they don't have to eat the whole pint of ice cream. They can have a few bites and say, oh, I, I get it. And I feel like if nothing else, that's a wonderful uh, way to treat our daily lives as far as savoring pleasant activities goes. And a, and a nice message that, you know, you are the chooser. If you're going to use cannabis, you know what it can do. And if you don't have any cannabis, you could still savor things and uh, sort of make the most. I've been talking about this in the driving literature, too. Uh, we've seen folks who uh, drive high in studies in Amsterdam actually take all these steps in order to make sure that they don't drive poorly. And I basically said, hey, don't drive high, but drive as if you were. Do all the things that you know you would do to, to compensate, and you'll have a much better traffic record. No, that's really interesting. And of course, you mentioned savoring. There, there was another study that, that just looked at the role of, of savoring with cannabis, correct? It's intriguing. I, I know all the mindfulness stuff was getting all trendy, and I, I have to be candid. I'm not the most mindful guy, and I've struggled with meditation for a few decades. But one subset of it is savoring, where you're, you're not just being mindful, but you're actually attending to the pleasant qualities of the moment and doing what you can to sort of uh, elaborate that in your mind. And people who you know dispositionally are savorers, so to speak, tend to run into markedly fewer cannabis-related problems than folks who smoke just as much but who aren't uh, into the savoring. And we've got a publication on that out. And then my grad student just emailed me. We've got uh, data replicating it. it. It looks like it's a real thing. Wow, that's that's really interesting. What, in addition to sort of um, extending the amount that you have, you know, not not consuming as much, does savoring uh, do for you? Like, uh, there was something about um, maybe negative aspects being reduced through savoring. Absolutely. So, 
in a sense, the more you savor, the fewer negative consequences you're going to have. And I admit, cannabis is hardly a dangerous drug compared to some of the ones that are out there. But we'll see decreases in things like respiratory irritation, which we can always turn to the vaporizer for help with that as well. Fewer conflicts interpersonally, so you're less likely to have your spouse or partner give you too much trouble. Markedly better uh, just not messing up at work or even um, finding yourself befuddled in the middle of tasks at home. And again, nobody's uh, going to jail for these or uh, you know ending up on a kidney machine. But the bottom line is anytime we sort of take these steps and keep the potential negative consequences down, not only does it help us personally, but I think it really helps the movement and it's a great way to model appropriate use of cannabis among adults so that we can make sure we get to keep what progress we've made and make a little more progress when it comes to legal changes. Well, cannabis really is the the perfect, perfect substance to, uh, to incorporate savoring with. It just enhances everything and it, it really, um, it, it's made for savoring, I would say. Um, so Certainly was, compared to things like alcohol, which is sort of notorious for decreasing your attentional capacity and not really helping you pay attention better, here's something that uh, I know the reputation of consciousness expanding has a bunch of hippie luggage, but that's essentially what's going on. Well, uh, speaking of that, actually, um, your other study involves ayahuasca, and uh, obviously uh, psychedelics have kind of um, become... Somewhat trendy, they're sort of having their moment where people are turning to things like MDMA for uh, therapy and people are microdosing and finding that it really enhances um, their daily life. But you, you studied ayahuasca as it relates to uh, depression, correct? Indeed, indeed. It's uh, an intriguing thing because I, you know, I'm glad there is a psychedelic renaissance, but I don't want to pretend like it works when it doesn't work or that it's working through some mechanisms that are so unfamiliar. Obviously, my more spiritual friends who are fans of the ayahuasca brew have a very intriguing, supernatural explanation for some of its effects. Obviously, I find those a little harder to measure. So we just asked folks about their ayahuasca use and how it had an impact on a couple of mechanisms that help depression in psychotherapy and found, in fact, it does seem to work the same way. Two sort of take-home messages uh, have to do with behavioral activation and cognition. So not a stunner to learn that ayahuasca actually enhances some of the mindfulness that we were discussing before, and that has a nice impact on depression. But also behavioral activation in the sense of you can essentially challenge yourself to handle some tasks you may have been avoiding and encourage yourself to spend your time doing activities that are really consistent with your values. And as you can imagine, those two things alone could uh, help anybody's mood, whether you're clinically depressed or not. Yeah, absolutely. I, and that, that really caught my attention. You mentioned that um, you behave more consistent with your values. Is that something that you find uh, in, in plant medicine uh, that kind of helps you reconnect with who you are um, as a person? I mean, qualitatively, the informal interviews are so consistent where you'll have folks who have an insight that essentially said, hey, I realized I was doing X, Y, and Z, and that's just not who I am. And it's odd because we often unconsciously take on these societal demands or family ones or just your tribe and community sees you in a certain way. 
you find yourself disheartened and then realize, holy cow, it's just, it's not only not who I am, I really relish a whole other set of activities. And it's a strange thing because just the actions alone, just behaving in the ways that are consistent with your real values improves mood down the line in in ways that don't necessarily have the magic of a spiritual or supernatural explanation, but sure seem to create measurable results. It's so interesting because so many people turn not only to cannabis, but really to psychedelics in general to sort of get away from themselves and to, to kind of go into a different realm. But it's fascinating to me that these same things can actually bring you more to the center of, of who you are and, and as it relates to your values. I have to admit, too, as much as I know ayahuasca has its own novelty, I do feel like everybody's got one of those high-dose edible stories where it may have been aversive, but it also had its meaningful components. Mm -hmm. And I would not be stunned to find out that, depending upon your tolerance, a, a, a day spent much like they do psilocybin trials where you've got the music going and the eye shades on with a, a nice 40 milligram edible could, could be a real life changer. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine you're a hundred percent right. Everybody has uh, one of those stories. They come up to Dan and I and, and tell us all the time that, you know, and we always say we preach, well, you know, take it easy with the edibles goes slowly, but, but sometimes, you know, maybe one of these journeys is kind of exactly what you need. My student Stacy Farmer published a paper on that, and it's not as as uh, big as psilocybin when it comes to having the most meaningful. But in a relatively big sample, about seven eight percent of the folks said, "Oh no, this was this was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life." When we were actually asking about aversive experiences, we were asking about you know tough edible stories, and I think my ayahuasca friends would definitely say, "Oh, the tough one was also meaningful." What do you think, Mitch? You know, because it's often about either facing difficult thoughts or uh, attending to uh, facets of your life that you've been avoiding or neglecting. And now, in the in the vein of do not try this at home. Um, the, the, the ayahuasca experience itself is, is quite uh, powerful, correct? Like the actual... Uh, Startling. Yeah. yeah. So much like LSD, the uh, guessing at a dosage is not for amateurs. I, you know, definitely love that so many people are out doing it as part of a community and it's connected to their spiritual lives. But to try to, you know, make some routine on your own with stuff you got off the internet is not going to be an easy feat at all. And I uh, look forward to the days when maybe uh, DMT, part of the uh, psychoactive components of the brew, could be available in measured, intriguing, but helpful doses mm -hmm. as part of a standard psychological treatment. Okay, I know that this isn't really um, it isn't really part of the research that you were doing into ayahuasca, uh, and maybe this has something a bit to do with uh, returning to your values. But I've heard over the years that um, ayahuasca, in addition to uh, some other um, uh, psychedelic root uh, plants, can really help with like opioid addiction and and things like that. Um, is that something that you've found in your uh, studies? So I've only been able to review that literature, but the Ibogaine crew... Ibogaine, right, yeah. I mean, they are effusive and numerous now. 
and claim that it is a challenging experience, but one that really not only uh, helps them break away from opiates for a little while, but apparently seems to function via craving. So if they do have an urge, it just becomes so obvious to them that that's not the path they want to go down after they've had some of these ibogaine-related insights. I haven't seen, you know, the randomized placebo-controlled clinical trial that really needs to be done. I'm not even sure what placebo ibogaine would look like, <laughs> but I I, uh, I got to admit now that the folks are really out there and really claim something good is going on, and I, I'd love to see uh, some more formal research on that, particularly given the opiate problems we're having. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, as always, thanks so much, Dr. Mitch. We'll, of course, have you on the show again. Uh, in the meantime, you know, if people do want to get in touch with you or learn a little bit more, obviously, there's your YouTube page. Uh, how else can people uh, sort of contact you? My my special one for this kind of thing is 420research at gmail.com. So, so the number is 420, the word research at gmail.com. And I try to turn things around as fast as I can. Sometimes folks come up with questions that I may not know the answer to because no one does. And I obviously can't be somebody's physician via email, but I'm always happy to help. I'd love to hear from folks. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Mitch. Uh, we'll be right back with more Grow Bud Yourself after this. Always great to have Dr. Mitch on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, very insightful uh, and a lot of information that isn't grow related, you know, just cannabis and, you know, uh, psychology and, and all of the different questions people have, because a lot of them aren't always grow related. A lot of them have to do with other things. And I think it's amazing that he's got the answers because I certainly don't. <laughs> with some of those questions, I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know. Yeah, he's a great resource for sure. And, uh, you know, we're going to have him back on the show. So if you guys have anything that, that you would like to ask uh, Dr. Mitch, you could you can get in touch with him directly. But uh, you could also email us. That is, of course, info at growbudyourself.com. So uh, definitely do that if you have a question. And, uh, you know, we, we have quite a show. We have one of our oldest friends, I guess, in, in this industry and also a fellow podcaster, right? Adam Dunn. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've known him for so many years since I first went over to Amsterdam the first time, you know, before high times or anything. Uh, you know, he was already there doing his thing uh, with Doug and TH Seeds and, and uh, the, you know, this, the hemp store, uh, Hemp Works and, and all the amazing stuff that he did. So uh, and it's a it's an in-depth interview, but we could talk to him for hours. So I think, you know, we'll have him back to, to talk again sometime soon. But uh you know, we scratched the surface, I think, with this one. I remember, actually, uh, his partner, Doug, we went to Barcelona with him on a <laughs> bit of a tour for some of those grows and the social clubs there that they were supplying with, with their cannabis. That's right. You and I, we went to Amsterdam and then uh, Barcelona, Spain with Doug. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was quite a fun trip, actually. We, we had a good time. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to get Doug on the show as well. That we can reminisce about our trip. But, uh yeah, it's great to have Adam on, and I think, uh, you know, without further ado, we should we should hop to it. So here is our interview uh, with Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn coming up. All right, we are back, and it is the interview portion of the show, and we are honored and blessed to have Adam Dunn uh, 
it's hard to even uh, describe all the things he's done. So uh, we'll get right into it. It's not Adam Dunn, the baseball player, by the way. It's Adam Dunn from. Uh, that's all TH. you have to say. I mean, that's all you have to say. <laughs> uh, if you don't know him uh, and are a beginner to the the world uh, of cannabis, uh, Adam is uh, one of the co-founders of TH Seeds uh, Breeding Outfit uh, for many many years and Hemp Works, uh, amazing hemp shop, uh, hemp store in Amsterdam. Uh, Hood Lamb, the uh, uh, amazing jackets made of hemp. Uh, and the Hood Lab in Denver, Colorado. But we're going to get into it with him. Welcome, Adam Dunn. Hey, thank you, Danny. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. He's also the host of the Adam Dunn Show, uh, which is an amazing podcast. You guys should definitely be hip to. Uh, you know, I say if this one is more, you know, for the intermediate and beginner, then that show is really for the experts because they get down and deep and dirty with the terpenes and the flavonoids and the cannabinoids and we're all speaking terpenes on the show you know that absolutely and uh, many guests that uh, no other shows have had you know a lot of in-depth uh, strain knowledge and and really uh, super duper valuable information for our community so every Friday every Friday 420 to 710 of course I mean come on what other time are you gonna do Gotta be four twenty to seven ten, right? There's really no other. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it goes longer than seven ten. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, well, we never start on time either. That's our, our number one rule: is to never, <laughs> ever start on time because the minute you start on time, you have to keep up on that stuff. You know what I mean? So, keep a good ten minute slack time built in at all at all times. Well, uh, I believe you know your story starts. Uh, I, I I feel like you know you're from Rhode Island, but you're actually born in Woodstock, right? Yeah, sounds better on paper for sure. <laughs> uh, I was born in Woodstock, in 1969, so it really makes it easy for people to figure out what I'm all about real quick. You know, they're like, oh, I got, I got, now I get you. Uh, but I but I did grow up in Rhode Island, so uh, as far as like high school. Uh, a couple of years in elementary school there too. I got in trouble. Basically, I got in trouble in Rhode Island for cannabis first time like ever. So for me, Rhode Island was the epitome of of trouble. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this place. And now it's and now to go back to Rhode Island and to see like Jason to see a Jordan's Club and and see the things that are going on there. And you're just like, wow, this is not the place that I thought it was when I was a kid. You know? I thought it was just some place you had to get the fuck out of. But actually, it's a it's a pretty good spot. I have to say. Few yeah. things, few problems over there, but right. I mean, for the East Coast, it's 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 pretty amazing spot. Um, so I'm assuming I'm assuming that cannabis played a role in your life at a pretty young age. I think um, you were probably exposed uh, to cannabis uh, early on. Yeah, very young, and um, always in a good way, though. You know what I mean? Because like uh, everybody. Is everybody's I might go to my mom's friend's houses and everybody always had their little rolling you know their, their little rolling tray bowl thing wooden bowl and there'd always be buds on the like just left out and nobody there was never that issue of like oh we're, we're all doing something you know scary let's go hide them no totally open and you know we we're kind of I kind of grew up in a little bit of a commune vibe too so it was a little bit like uh you know naked people wandering through the living room at any given moment. So weed wasn't really a big deal. It was like, Oh, naked people and weed. <laughs> there we go. Weirdness. But uh, yeah, I was exposed to a lot of things as a child. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, somehow that doesn't surprise me uh, because uh, you also, uh, the rumor has it that you were busted for weed in the fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. But that was it. At that point, I was pretty much the cat was out of the bag. Everyone knew that I was a weed guy. And even the funniest part was is that my friend's parents at a certain point would like ask me to hook them up because, and this is when I was like a little later when I was like 13, 14, but I would go to their friend's house. We'd go in the room and smoke a joint. And the parents would come and knock on the door and be like, hey, uh, so we were wondering, uh, could you maybe find us? I was like, wow, this is funny. We're getting reverse caught. We're not getting caught. We're getting caught because they, they're like, they're smoking swag. And they're like, these kids are smoking. Whatever they're smoking is fire right now. Because I was bringing weed from California uh, when I was 13 back to Rhode Island. And then that was, the, you know, blowing people's minds because it was some proper big uh, or holy weed, you know, real, real deal. Wow. Yeah, that's yes, awesome. young. <laughs> <laughs> so that was again. I was destined to become a weed person at that point. Right, right, okay. And then uh, you make your way to Amsterdam. Uh, you basically you're you're traveling the world. I mean, I think you're like yeah. boating around, and you, you and you wind up. Yeah, in- I was. Uh, I was, well, I grew up at. Yeah, Rhode Island is a, a, the only thing to do in Rhode Island. If you're in Rhode Island, is a little bit like if you're in Hollywood and you're not in music or film, then what the hell are you doing there? And in Rhode Island, if you're not in the boating industry, like doing like uh, yachts and stuff, then really what are you doing there? Because that's the money, especially where we, where I was in Jamestown and in Newport. Um, that's the real industry, let's say, you know, that's the industry you want to be in because it's the one getting paid. But it's also the industry to get the fuck out of there because when you get on a boat, you have a chance to sail to another place and they have to buy you a ticket home or get on a boat home or whatever. So I did a transatlantic, went to Europe, or went to, to basically to Greece and, and Turkey and all that area, hitchhiked my way back to England, saw a ferry going to Rotterdam and said, well, that's the spot I need to go to Amsterdam because it's, you know, it's, I've been wanting to do that for my whole life. And so, uh, maybe, you know, that was, and that was in 1989 when I moved there. So I got there in 89, September of 89, I got to Amsterdam and it was amazing because it was pre-internet, you know? So like the first thing I did was call my best friend in, in California and just tell him, like, I was like, I remember I was like just wasted. Like I'd just been at coffee shops and, and drinking and I called him up and I was just hammered. And I was like, you gotta go. It's really here. Man. I couldn't, because at that time really like Amsterdam was still like, we heard about it, but nobody really, had any world firsthand experience that I knew, you know what I mean? It was just something like a rumor almost at that point, but uh, a lot of junkies there though too. It was really like an eye-opening experience because when I first got there, you had to step over junkies to get out of central station. They were just laying out in front of it. Like it was, you know, it literally looked like how new England looks now with all of the heroin issues going on. Just people nodding out on every bus stop, people nodding out on the streets, people, you know, and it really was like interesting because that was the differentiation between hard and soft drugs, right? Like you could get soft drugs, which was cannabis in a shop, or you can end up on the streets like these guys. And I thought it was the best advertisement ever to keep people off of heroin. Like, you know, America had a completely different idea, which was let's pretend it doesn't exist and it'll just go away. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interesting, and that's always been the distinction in Holland is that separation between soft drugs and hard drugs with you know cannabis and hashish and psychedelics 
sort of yeah. falling falling into the soft drug category and heroin, cocaine, and uh, methamphetamine being which hardened. makes sense, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It all makes, I mean, it, it all makes, makes perfect it, sense. And that and, and that and that was the funny part about being in Holland in the like literally getting there in the late eighties, early nineties, and 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 seeing the transition from that vibe, which interestingly enough, it didn't really dawn on me while I was there, but it was still really like a social experiment at that time because it had only been about 18 years or something total. It seems like a long time, 18 years, but really when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, you know, like we're at, we're, that's where we're at right now with California and, and decrim, you know, 1995 to now we're already at like 25 or even longer than that. You know what I mean? So you see, it goes, it goes, so we're at a very kind of at the beginning of the whole experiment in the sense of uh, there wasn't a lot of Americans living in Holland at the time that were in the industry. Like there was a few, you know, there was some to name a few, young Sam and Rob Clark and those kind of people, Mm -hmm. but they were like the generation before me. And so I was kind of like the new generation of Americans totally interested in cannabis, you know what I mean? And coming over there, I ended up getting a job at um, the hash museum, which is the same owners as Sensi seeds. And so that kind of got my whole career started in the sense of uh, having access to genetics and learning about cannabis uh, from a grower's point of view and also from a distribution point of view as far as dealing with shops and all that. Which is a whole new world. It's really interesting when you see the difference between selling cannabis to the masses and selling cannabis to your friends. <laughs> and you have to get over that. That's what America's in now, you know. Right, right. It seems like a lot of the industry got their start at Sensi Seeds in a way because um, right around 94, 95, a bunch of different companies kind of sprung up, uh, mm-hmm. at, at, uh, seed companies. And it's, you know, some, a lot of those people, yep. I think, you know, may have, you know, worked with Sensi in one capacity or another and then decided to start their own companies. Uh, and THC yeah, it was, yeah, it was a tidal wave like that, too. It started off with us. Like, I, I left in 93 uh, from Sensi and started TH Seeds and CIA and all of that, right? Which was, CIA was an acronym for uh, Cannabis in Amsterdam, right? Mm-hmm. And that was like our, our meeting spot for growers and expats and people like that. So it was like, a, it was a nice big space. I mean, the thing about Holland is space is like the most important thing. Like, like people don't have any space. Like most shops are a hundred square feet or something ridiculous. You gray area is a good example, right? You, you walk in, there's, there's three tables and a, and, and a bar and that's all there is. Um, but we had a huge space um, right downtown. So it really made it as like a comfortable place for people to come. But also, uh, when I quit working at Sensi, I, I told them, listen, I'm going to go and do my own thing, but I still want to sell your seeds. So I sold Sensi seeds. I sold um, Dutch Passion seeds. I sold uh, uh, Positronic seeds, Nirvana seeds, Cerebral seeds, which was toned with the precursor to Sirius seeds. And then and Sagar Mother seeds, they were originally called Sirius, or sorry, they were originally called Cerebral. Um, and I had... Uh, uh, Brian Rubin's seeds on my menu, and he's the guy that um, was in the New York Times article from the 90s, early 90s. That was like the big first kind of publication that Michael Pollan did the, the editorial. Right. And it was uh, the first kind of pro cannabis article that kind of came out. It really got the vibe going. So, in a way, it was like we were at this point selling, I think we had 135 strains, which at 
the time was by far the biggest menu in the world, right? So we were like, holy shit, dude, we have the biggest seed bank in the world. <laughs> so we were like, we were just everything we did was was the the first or the biggest or the newest because there really was nobody kind of doing that. It, it seemed, you know, everybody had one thing you notice in Holland is everybody is very much on their own island. It's there's not as much networking going on. People are very like, oh well, if I don't have it nobody has it right that's the dutch mentality <laughs> and uh i was totally about the whole idea of, of like networking you know i was like no man I, hey i'll put some flyers in your shop you put some flyers in my shop we'll send each other business it didn't really make sense to them you know they were like what huh <laughs> <laughs> and But uh, it's also yeah. interesting to see now how everything's evolved you know And so CIA, uh, Cannabis in Amsterdam, and KGB was kill Killer Green Buds. Is that right? <laughs> no, no. It was actually No Good Buds in Amsterdam. Oh, No Good Buds. Right. Okay, yeah, perfect. No Good Buds because and, Killer Green Buds had already come out. That, that was already okay. a thing, I think. At that time. So already, that evolved, but that. that evolved into the store Hempworks, right? Like that sort of became that shop. Yeah, we actually had it for, for short For about six months, we had both shops going. There was a moment in time where CIA was going to be the cool hangout fun spot. And then the hemp works was going to be the serious hemp store with like, you know, like trying to make, and then we got kicked out of CIA uh, and everything we had to move into the hemp works. So then hemp works became a little of everything. And that's why when people walked in, the first thing they would notice is there's a cloud of smoke coming from the basement. And that would be my office. <laughs> so I just sit in my office and smoke yeah. all day, yeah. every day. Right. And you guys also had uh, the first laminator machine, which basically you guys invented rosin years before rosin was a thing, right? In a, in a, in a strange way, I, couldn't, I have to rephrase that. I could have invented rosin. That should have been <laughs> I, I By... By my um, in, inability to grasp what was really going on, uh, I, I actually missed the boat because if if somebody had whispered the word parchment paper into my ear at one point and said, hey, why don't you try parchment paper, right? Then I would have been like, oh my God, the oh, penny drop. Because my problem was I wasn't thinking of making rosin. I was thinking of pressing hash, right? Because I would get, I was sitting at my shop at the CIA And we used to make um, membership cards. And so I had a little membership. I had a little bit of uh, like a membership card, a uh, little lam tiny laminator like this big. And so I kept looking at this laminator and looking over at this pile of hash that was on the table and then thinking to myself like, huh, that's got like rollers and heaters. Maybe I could just roll it out, right? So then I took a little bit of cellophane and I put some hash in the cellophane and I rolled it through the, through the laminator and it came out literally perfect it looked like a tortoise shell or something you could see through it a little bit and i was like wow this is amazing um what the problem was is when you put really really high quality hash in there like super melt hash it would squirt out the sides right and so i wasn't but i was using a paper sleeve to hold the 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 cellophane inside of the thing. And so sometimes it would squirt outside of the cellophane and that means it was really, really good, right? So in my mind, I was using it as a quality control. Like I just hold it up and look at it and go like, yep, that's good, a little bit of particulars. But all that stuff that squished out onto my rollers, that was the rosin. And I didn't really, I never collected it or, or tried to. I just was always like, oh damn it, another 
$100 worth of hash just squirted into my machine. Oh, fuck. I guess I'll clean it out later at some point. You know what I mean? So I never grasped. At one time when I was using, not with the laminator, but a book press, I was squeezing really hard on a ton of hash with a book press and I had a torch and I was heating it up. And at a certain point, this dark kind of greeny, greeny brown liquid squirted out the side of the hash press. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And I went and I played around with it. And the funny part was, is because there was no dab rig, and I didn't, I wasn't a crackhead or I wasn't smoking meth or something. So I didn't ever think of when I thought of smoking, it was like in a bong with a lighter. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking of, oh, you got to heat it from the bottom and not actually put the flame on it or something. And so when I tried to smoke that rosin, it, it just kind of turned to liquid and it wouldn't smoke. And I was like, eh, this shit's weird. It's like plastic. Fuck it. You know what I mean? And I just gave up on it. So there was a moment in time I could have been the man. I could have literally, could, but the laminates themselves are legendary. And as you know, they travel well. They, they, they end up in weird places. I would get phone calls from like Russia and the fun loving criminals would be like, Hey, we're on top of a mountain in Russia. We just popped open one of your laminates and everybody's dancing around and going nuts. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, well, that's good. At least, at least it's, you know, it's doing his job. Oh, yeah. making people happy which yeah. is what what it's all about right yeah yeah i used to personally mail it back uh you know i'd have the hotel just mail back what? Uh, postcards back to me edit uh edit yeah. edit <laughs> years ago years ago but uh oh, yeah. but uh let's uh move along to uh basically mm-hmm. you know you guys had the hemp store and you were also at the same time doing th seeds uh, you ended up winning a bunch of awards, mm-hmm. uh, actually running a cannabis cup yep. one year. Uh, and that was the first year. Yeah. Yeah, right. first and year. Be- first year it was open to the public. Uh, first year for us. Yeah. First year that I ever had anything to do with it was the year we ended up organizing it. But yeah, it was a learning experience. That was a, and at, at, at some point you moved to Denver, you, you basically decided mm-hmm. that uh, the States had changed enough for you to actually move back uh, to America. Yeah, it was funny. It was, it was in 2000, uh, 2009, actually. So funny enough, as I was 89. I went to Amsterdam for the very first time, and I saw what was going on, and I knew at that moment that's where I wanted to be. Fast forward to 2009, so we're looking at 30 years later, and I go to Denver, and I had the exact same epiphany moment where I realized, like, holy shit, this is where it's going to happen, right here. Because it had the right amount of people, it had the right, uh, you know, the type of people, the right appreciation of cannabis. It's all about, to me, it was about the difference between Amsterdam and Holland was jaded and they didn't really care about what they had in their hands. You know what I mean? They had this beautiful plant and this ability to use it in so many ways and educate the world. And, you know, everybody traveled to Europe to learn about this plant for like eons, forever, right? The whole time I was there for 20 plus years. Every single, we had every group come through who wanted to learn about it. But then I got here and I saw this whole new energy, which was like, oh, wow, this is the energy that I like with cannabis when it's the up and coming and it's bubbling and things are happening. And also the biggest thing I saw here was that they were taking hemp seriously. And that's that's what made me realize, like, this is where I want to be. Because once you grow, you know, 10,000 acres of hemp, that's when shit's real, you know what I mean? Compared to like plants in your basement or, or even a big grow up or a 100,000 square foot facility, that's nothing compared to 
thousand acres of hemp, two thousand acres of hemp and upwards, you know what I mean? Which I'm now getting to experience because I came here. When I got here um, in 2009, you could still smoke weed in the dispensaries in, in, in Denver. So it was like, wow, this is cool. This is like, just like Amsterdam, you know what I mean? What's the difference? But all those rules changed and I got to, I got to watch the, the situation go from like the Wild West to the most organized, overly regulated systems in a country, you know what I mean? So it's, so it's a kind of a, a bittersweet thing, you know what I mean? Because I do love that whole beginning phase when everything, like right now, Oklahoma is the vibe that Denver had in 2009, you know, in 2010, when like you can smoke in the shops, they're open, people don't, you know, they're, they're just experiencing quality now, finally for the first time, it's actually now starting. Like, whereas a year ago, not so great now all of a sudden wow a lot a lot of good weed uh being grown in oklahoma so i feel like those new places are the most exciting fun i always considered cannabis like big wave surfing even though i'm not a surfer and i have no idea what i'm talking about but i feel like if you're looking for that big wave of cannabis like amsterdam was big wave cannabis for the longest time right that's where you would go to hang out with the big boys and talk about big things and see big grows and all that kind of stuff. And now it's just a little tiny player on the side. America's the leader of all that. You know what I mean? Now, if you want to see the big grows, you come here. And so it's kind of funny because it's like that the, the, the baton has been handed and that made me realize like, I don't want to be where the waves are small and it's boring. You know what I mean? I want to be where the big way. I want to be that where the big stuff's happening. And that's kind of why I got attracted to Denver. Plus, I never would have in a million years have imagined I would end up in a place like Colorado, but here I am, right? And it's, <laughs> it's a great place. Yeah. Um, well, we definitely want to get a few grow tips. And so what are your tips for people who are mm -hmm. interested, especially now with what's going on and they're interested in you know, growing their own food, growing their own cannabis? Um, what yeah. are some tips that you have for them? Well, well, I was going to... It's funny because that's exactly what I was thinking when you were saying tips. I was thinking, well, you know what? One of the tips I would say is right now, uh, because it's such an uncertainty where we're at and everybody needs to control their own destiny when it comes to food and cannabis, their own personal medicines, whatever. Um, if, you're just, if you're a first-time grower, and, uh, and this is even better because it's almost like learning how to drive a manual or an automatic, right? If you learn how to drive on an automatic, you're destined to be uh, an average driver at best. You know what I mean? You'll never be the best driver there is because you need to understand how to work the gears, right? And so when you're growing cannabis only, strictly cannabis, like a lot of people I know, all of a sudden now we're in a situation where hey, you may need to grow some other things besides cannabis. You may need to grow your own vegetables. You may need to grow your own medicinal plants. You may need to grow your own herbs, things like that. And if you don't have any of those skills under your belt, then how can you really be comfortable knowing or call yourself a grower, right? In that sense, you're a cannabis grower, sure. But if you can't grow other things, and I, I'm 100% guilty of this. I was so 100% you know, so cannabis that I couldn't, you know, I grew basil or something easy like that on the side just for the hell of it, but I never really took it seriously. Um, but now what I would suggest is anybody who's growing, devote at least half of your garden to things besides cannabis, learn from that because that'll teach you a lot more about um, 
plants in general because plants teach you everything, right? And you can use a lot of times the plants that you grow, for instance, you can use them in your mix for your cannabis, right? So you can grow your own cover crops, even in the city. You don't have to be in the country to, to, to appreciate these things. And then what you do is you start to learn learn plants. You don't just learn cannabis. And then I think you get more out of it. But I'm on a 114 acre farm right now and we have plants going in the ground and the outside, but we've been living off our indoor microgreens and our lettuce growing in, inside in one of my old grow rooms, which I converted the entire grow room to just nothing but vegetables. And the difference between eating a salad that you just picked downstairs in your basement that was just growing in the ground 20 minutes ago compared to like something that's in your refrigerator that got picked at a farm in Mexico that ended up on a truck that got delivered. that got to all that stuff is, is it's a, an illusion of the quality. So the same with cannabis, when you grow your own cannabis and you harvest it in one room and you smoke it in the other room next to it, that's the best cannabis in the world, right? It hasn't traveled anywhere. It hasn't been beat up. So take control of everything besides cannabis and Try to keep your footprint as small as possible, and you'll uh, you'll have the you'll you'll always have the best quality when it, whether it comes to cannabis or food or any of the above. You know, take control. That's my <laughs> my uh, awesome suggestion. Awesome. And now, if people want to listen to the Adam Dunn show or find out about uh, maybe hiring you as a consultant or yeah, if they want to reach out, they can always go to the Adam. You go to the Adam Dunn Show uh, you can go to Instagram, Adam Dunn Show, any of those, and contact us direct there. Um, and you can also look out for Sage Master Select, which is my uh, seed line that I'm doing uh, on seedsherenow.com. If you want to go to that website and check out all the different breeders, I'm in there, not only with TH Seeds, but Sage Master Select. One last thing. Where can people purchase hemp hood lamb coats? Because I got to say, these are the warmest, most comfortable oh. coats. You need to go to uh, hemptailors.com. So that's the, uh, the new uh, over the, the, the hoodlem is still the brand, but hemptailors is the, the big, the big name behind it all. So just go to hemptailors.com and you can still pick up all the hoodlem gear you need. Adam, thank you so much uh, Talk for to you coming soon. on the show. Keep up the great work. For sure. Thanks, Adam, thank you, Danny. Thanks, Mike. It. I'll get you guys on my show soon too. All right. Thank you so much to Adam Dunn, TH Seeds and Hemp Hood Lamb and all the uh, amazing stuff that he's done over the last, shit, almost 30 years. Always good to hear from Adam. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is the cultivation section, I believe. It is cultivation time, awesome. uh, but it is an off fortnight. So we're not going to do a strain, but, but maybe we can jump right to a uh, topic that you'd like to speak on. Yeah, I think uh, I'd like to get into some of the just real basics of growing, and that's understanding photosynthesis and the marijuana life cycle. Uh, and, you know, photosynthesis, we all learn, you know, basics of that. You know, it's the process by which plants convert light, air, and water uh, into the carbohydrate sugars that make up plant cells. Um, so light, carbon dioxide, uh is absorbed through the leaves, water is taken in by the roots, uh, all of that is transformed into glucose, uh, which releases oxygen as a byproduct. That's why you know plants take in CO2, release oxygen, we take in oxygen, release CO2. 
um, the more plants, you know, the more uh, oxygen. So that's that's a good thing. Um, now, they use that glucose fuel to grow new shoots and branches, and they also store converted energy in the leaves and the fruits and the roots uh, and the flowers. So uh, that's, you know, that's photosynthesis. It's an amazing process, uh, and it's how plants grow, you know, how they are able to take in light and, and convert that light into actual energy. Um, so it's pretty amazing. And really understanding how that works means understanding that there's all these necessary building blocks, right? Like air and light and water. And of course, you know, nutrients, but those are the basics and those have to be there, uh, in the right amounts. And so that's very important. Otherwise the plant stops, uh, you know, basically having energy, it just stops and it could die. It could slow down. A lot of bad things could happen. It makes it more susceptible. So you want to have photosynthesis working, you know, like clockwork. Um, as far as cannabis, uh, it's an annual, meaning that it emerges from a seed in the spring, you know, in nature, puts on leaves and branches through the summer, uh, flowers during the fall, and then, you know, in the winter goes to seed uh, and dies. The, the plant dies, the seeds fall uh, earlier, you know, or as the plant dies, and, and the plant is just hoping that those seeds sprout in the spring when the, when the earth gets warm. Uh, and that continues the life of the annual. Um, this is opposed to perennials, which live year after year from the same rootstock. Think of plants like uh, hydrangeas or uh, daisies, plants like that, that, uh, you know, the same bush, uh, you know, the growth emerges from the same bush uh, year after year, uh, and that would be more of a perennial. Uh, cannabis, if cannabis was a perennial, that'd be pretty amazing, but we do have to plant it year after year. Um, in the wild, you know, male cannabis plants will pollinate the female flowers, um, that creates the seeds. But for us, you know, we want them seedless. That's why we take the females, uh, separate them from the males, kill the males basically. And they're, they're really unnecessary to us, uh, especially just as beginner growers, uh, you know, later on, if you're interested in breeding, creating your own strains, things like that, then that comes into play, but really you just want the females. Uh, the buds that we consume are the dried flower of the unpollinated female plants. Uh, like I said, the males are pretty useless. Um, when you're growing indoors, basically you're looking to uh, imitate those changing seasons by manipulating the light cycle uh, to trigger the two stages of growth. Okay, The vegetative phase is the first phase, and then the flowering phase comes after. So think of you know the spring into the summer, and then going into the fall. As you're going into the fall, you want to change the light cycle from 18 hours on, 6 hours off, to 12 hours on, 12 hours off, and that triggers that flowering cycle. Um, you can do that slowly over time, or you can do that all at once. I do it all at once. I prefer that. I think, you know, slowly over time probably mimics nature a little more, but uh, why not just get to the point and start the flowering stage right away? Um, you know, typically I tell people, you know, veg for four weeks or so. Uh, flowering usually takes eight to nine weeks. Um, so you have to plan accordingly. Uh, make sure you have enough light, obviously, if you're using artificial light. And if you're not, if you're growing in sunshine, make sure you get a lot of sunshine. Uh, two or three hours a day is not going to really cut it um, unless you supplement the light. So there you have it. That's, uh, that's photosynthesis and uh, the life cycle of cannabis.
All right. Very important stuff for growing a great cannabis. So thank you for that. Um, what do you say? I know we, we didn't really do this last week, but what do you say we get into some questions from our listeners? Let's do it. Let's do it. I love this. Yeah, excellent. So uh, if you're listening and you have a question you'd like Dan to answer on this show, you could, of course, reach us by email, uh, info at growbudyourself.com. That's the best way. But of course, uh, we're also on socials. He's at Danny Danko. I'm at Mike Check G. The show is at Grow Bud Yourself. You can get us on Patreon as well. Uh, so let's jump right in and start off with Matt. And Matt writes... A long-time listener from the High Times podcast to Grow Bud Yourself. Love the info and the interviews. Uh, my question is, I've got a tent in my basement, and I've been very successful growing regular feminized seeds, but lately I've been seeing fast feminized seeds on sites that I buy seeds from. In your opinion, is it worth it to get the fast fem, or do you get a significantly less yield compared to regular fem seeds? So uh, what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a question of, uh, you know, time versus uh, yield, because the fast or uh, auto, you know, flower, I'm assuming, uh, you know, sometimes in Europe, they call those fast uh, and fast feminides uh, are going are they're going to take less of time to grow, right? They're, uh, they're fast because at a certain size, they just immediately start to flower regardless of the photo period. Uh, which means you're probably going to get a lower yield than with your, you know, regular feminized seeds. I think of regular seeds as uh, male or female, but uh, in in the world of autos, uh, regular feminized, I guess, are the ones that aren't autos. You that meaning you have to make the light cycle twelve twelve in order for them to flower. Um, with the fast uh, ones or the autos, you uh, can leave the light lights on at 18 hours on uh six hours off eventually the plant will just begin to flower uh the the advantage is you're going to have uh that harvest much sooner so you could do 75 to 90 days from when you plant the seed to when you harvest whereas it's going to take a little longer uh with the the uh regular feminized plants but uh you also may suffer you know a, a drop in potency as well because what makes those autos auto are uh, basically ruderalis genetics, uh, which really contain very little THC. So it, it's really, it's a question of who you get the seeds from and uh, how, how well they've done the breeding to sort of breed in the auto part and breed out the, the lack of uh, potency part. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's basically a question of when, if you wanna harvest sooner, you're gonna make the sacrifice in yield and potency uh, but you know, that's really up to you and, and, and how important it is for you to harvest every 90 days. All right, there you go. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, Matt. Uh, next question comes from Jeff in Alberta, Canada, and he also has a question about feminized seeds. Uh, Jeff writes, uh, Hey guys, I love the show. As soon as I found out about you uh, from another podcast, I quickly made the switch and haven't looked back. You guys are the true OGs and know what you're talking about. Well, <laughs> thank you, but uh, you know, there's room for all the podcasts. I think no, no, no. There's no, a lot of he's great right. ones. <laughs> yeah, <we're the> <laughs> okay. <best. laughs> uh, anyway, my question is: um, Do regular seeds have any sort of benefits, or should I stick with germinating fem seeds? I'm going to be doing a pheno hunt soon, and would really like to get some wicked genetics like Dark Horse. So, uh, what are the pros and cons? 
Interesting. Good, good seed questions today. Uh, yeah, I mean, regular seeds, the pros are that they, you know, ideally they would be F1 hybrids, meaning uh, a cross of two distinctly different varieties uh, where you get that uh, hybrid vigor that comes when, when you cross two things that are different. Uh, you're not going to get that with feminized seeds. So I always recommend for people that are growing to pick a mother plant, you know, if they're pheno hunting, I, I haven't had a lot of success or seen a lot of successful pheno hunts that were are done with feminized seeds uh, as far as getting that, you know, the vigor, the strength uh, and all of that. So you want a mother plant that's grown from regular seeds, but you want to make sure that's a female plant. Uh, there's detailed ways uh, in my book to do that. Basically, you, you grow those seeds out, you take cuttings of the plants, and then you, f you, f you flower the cuttings. You don't flower the actual plant. So the rooted clone tells you uh, which ones are male and female and, and you know gives you an idea of what they're going to turn out like. And that's how you make your decision and how you get a, a, f a, flower, a, a female plant that has never flowered, and yet you know it's female because you flowered the clone. So I, like I said, I would, if you're doing pheno hunting, I would definitely recommend using regular seeds, uh, you know, taking the trouble to grow out the females and the males, figuring out which are females and males, killing off the males and picking that strongest, most vigorous female, the one that, you know, uh, appeals to you the most and having that as your mom, uh, you know, your female mother plant. Um, so that's my advice. If you're pheno hunting, pheno hunt from regular seeds and not feminized seeds. If you're just growing out from seeds, feel free to grow out feminized seeds and not waste time growing males. Uh, but if you're pick, you know, growing to choose uh, a plant that you're going to have for years and years, uh, I would do that from regular seeds for sure. All right. Very good. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, Jeff. And uh, keep us posted. Thanks for listening. What do you say we do one more? Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, let's go to Hazy Jay-Z. Uh, Hazy Jay-Z writes, uh, what's up, Danny and Mike? Uh, thanks again for restarting the podcast. It gives us something to look forward to each week. Uh, the question I have this time is about budding out plants and harvesting in the same area. Will the harvesting plants affect the growing plants? I remember hearing that this will make the growing plants harvest quicker, and if so, is that a bad thing? And if it is a bad thing, how far apart do the two areas need to be? And what other steps can be taken to lessen the uh, negative effects? Any help with this would be greatly appreciated. Uh, thanks again. So so what do you think, Dan? Harvesting and budding out in the same area. Yeah, I mean, I think on a small on a small scale, it doesn't really have much of an effect. But I have seen in much larger applications, larger gardens, uh, where the hanging harvesting plants, they give off, you know, all kinds of invention as, as they're drying, um, as the terpenes go into the air and, and um, different, you know, things are exchanged, you know, that we don't quite understand. Um, that's what, this is why if you put, you know, a, a ripe banana next to an unripe banana, it quickens the ripening of the unripe banana. Uh, so, you know, it kind of freaks the plants out. And so there's people who are growing in perpetual gardens uh, have seen this time and time again, where their plants will, will mature uh, prematurely. They'll ripen uh, before they're supposed to. And what's bad about that is that, you know, you're going to suffer from a lower yield. Um, there's going to be less, uh, essential oil production. You know, the trichomes, uh, is you're not going to get as much, uh, trichomes, which is where the, all the, you know, cannabinoids and things are. So, uh, 
it's it's unfortunate if that happens. Uh, you want the plants to grow through their full you know their full growth cycle, and so what I would say is harvest and dry plants uh, in a separate area from where you have other plants growing. I mean, certainly you don't want any light in that area. You want it to be doing that in a cool, dark place. So away from any, you know, grow lights, obviously, and away from uh, any plants that are, are still growing. I would say, you know, for a small harvest, you could just be in a different room and you'd be probably be fine, uh, like a, a separate room, not sharing a wall with that space. And certainly with exhaust fans that don't exhaust into your, your grow space because that air is going to be the air that you know tells the plants that they're supposed to be further along uh so you know in on a larger scale you know you definitely need to separate those areas um you know where you dry and and, and cure and everything from any growing plant areas and i think most of the the big producers do that uh, and know that and either have learned it the hard way or not but it is a strange phenomenon uh, and it's one of those things we don't quite understand except that you know plants have a deeper understanding of things than we think they do and they talk to each other in different ways that we don't quite understand either so um, you know they're constantly the roots are talking to the the plant above and uh, it's it sounds kooky and crazy to say this but uh, plants communicate with each other uh, through all kinds of different means. And this is one of them, you know, ripening plants are, are, are telling the other plants, Hey, we're already ripe and done and, 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 you know, dying and you guys haven't even created any seeds or anything. So, uh, there's a, a strong evolutionary thing pull happening there that, uh, you know, we can, we can always learn more about. Yeah, for sure. And I always think that when we say things like they talk to each other, that's what throws people off. But but what you mean is that they're communicating in a way that we don't fully understand. But uh, right. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and this has been studied where they've they've, you know, te tested plants that are, you know, infested in one area of a field and the how those plants are, are somehow telling these other plants uh, that they're infested and that they need to start fighting back. And, and there's ways that they attract pests to themselves, you know, uh, you know, carnivorous pests to themselves to fight off the vegetarian pests that are attacking them. So it really is interesting. Uh, there's so much more to learn. I watch all the uh, National Geographic's and PBS specials on plants. I'm, I'm uh, you know, obsessed and it, there's a lot more to learn, for sure. It's amazing. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Hazy Jay-Z. We appreciate the uh, question. And we'd love to answer your question as well, listener. So uh, if, you, if you have a question you'd like answered, uh, please do get in touch with us. You can email us at info at growbudyourself.com. What do you say we uh, take a little break right now, come back and put a bow on it? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right, Mike, what do you think? Is this the wrap? We're in the wrap. All right, almost done. We, we almost finished another one. <laughs> exactly. Let's wrap this one up. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Mitch Earlywine for sure. Uh, always insightful, always delightful. Uh, and I definitely want to thank Adam Dunn uh, for the interview. Um, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, as always. Uh, Vapor.com, remember, uh, 
you know, use promo code GBY for Grow Bud Yourself uh, for 15% off anything at vapor.com. Uh, that includes Puffco Peaks and all kinds of amazing items. Uh, check us out on iTunes. Please rate us, review us. You know, I know it's a lot of trouble to go through, but it really helps the show a lot. Uh, and we truly appreciate it. Anybody who uh, reviews us on there, leaves their name, you know, their at, you know, whatever Instagram there, I will follow you on Instagram unless you're like a crazy, like Q crazy, like Trump <laughs> whack doodle. Uh, QAnon, which... is that what you were saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, oh boy. I will try to follow you. <laughs> Let's say that. I can't guarantee it, but I He's will do my He's not committing to anything. I'll but... do my best. I'll yeah. do my... If you're a good person, I will follow you. Um, and I'll, as always, patreon.com slash Danny Danko. Um, that is our Patreon page. That is where you can support me and Mike and gain access to bonus footage, uh, all kinds of blooper reels, <laughs> you know, uh, video. We've put up some fun stuff on there. There's me and Jorge playing with dolls. If anybody's interested Don't in that. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to have another one coming up. Jen Doe, I think. Uh, Jen Doe on her favorite way to consume uh, solventless hash which uh, I think people would be very interested in. So yeah, check, check us out there. It's a great place to support us. It's a great part of the community of the show. If you want to participate in our, uh, Mike, aren't we doing a, uh, like a Zoom kind of thing with some of these? We are, yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's in the works. We've got a couple pop, of people signed up. Quiz. We need a few more. Yeah, we're going to do a little quiz. You can win uh, a prizes, including a magical butter machine, including a copy of my book, uh, all kinds of amazing prizes. So please sign up for Patreon. Uh, you can follow us there without spending a dollar, uh, but you can spend $4.20 a month or more and gain access to that new, you know, amazing bonus footage and blooper stuff. Um, what do you say, Mike? Should we put this one in the books? Let's do it. All right. So thank you guys. And uh, we will see you next week with more episodes of Grow Bud Yourself. Grow bud you want to give us something else? <laughs> All right. So always remember to continue to grow bud yourself. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with episode number nine. Keep up the grow work <laughs> are we going out on that is that what we're doing i don't know i could do it again all right maybe one more time. this is going to end up one of those easter eggs that you put in at the end that i it, the thought oh, crossed no. my mind oh no